Genesis chapter 42 now, and um, wow, eight chapters left, and we're going to be done with this book. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, Joseph and his family. Um, Joseph is in Egypt, of course. Family is back in the land of Canaan, living comfortably. But now, tragedy happens. Whenever there's tragedy, if you're a child of God, they're always going to, these tragedies are always going to work in your favor and this is no exception. So we're going to pray, and then you can turn to uh, chapter 42 as we pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the life of Joseph, Lord, and how you navigated to safety his family and generations after them uh, through using tragedies and using this broken family. You could even use broken families to accomplish your will, Lord, and for that we are grateful. So many of us come from broken families, and we're grateful as we read through the book of Genesis and see all the things that you're accomplishing according to your will in spite of the problems that this family has. Teach us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 42, when Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, Jacob said to his son or his sons, why do you look at one another? And he said, indeed. I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down to that place and buy for us there that we may live and not die. So if you recall in the last chapter, while Joseph is in Egypt, Pharaoh has this dream. And the dream is prophetic. God is telling Pharaoh that there are going to be seven years of plenty, and then there's going to be seven years of drought and or famine that usually goes along with um, the drought. And God told Pharaoh in the dream to store up grain uh, during the seven years of plenty, because when the seven years of famine and drought come, then you're going to distribute it not only among your people, but the then known world, because this famine is going to be really bad. and It's going to affect everybody. And so Pharaoh, of course, put Joseph, uh, who also interpreted the dream for Pharaoh, he puts Joseph in charge of all the storehouses throughout Egypt, the buying, the selling, distributing, all of that. And so now the famine has affected uh, Jacob's family back in the land of Canaan. And uh, he urges his son, he says, hey, why are you just here looking at each other? He says, get down there, get down to Egypt, and let's get this family fed. So um, the family of God, uh, Jacob and, and, and his whole family, they're in Canaan, um, and they're feeling this famine just like anybody else. When you're a child of God, that does not always mean that you're going to be immune to some of the world's uh, problems. So... Jacob sends his sons down there to get food for the family. Now, when Jacob suggests that the brothers go to Egypt, it says, very interesting, that they just looked at one another. Well, why do they just look at one another? Well, because they remember that 20 years prior to um, this time, 
they sold their brother Joseph to slave traders that were on their way to Egypt. And so what's going through their mind is, hey, dad wants us to go down to Egypt to get this food and bring it back. But what if we run into Joseph? And so now what we're seeing is guilt in the lives of these brothers. You know, <clears throat> unresolved uh, issues always bring guilt. And guilt never goes away. Guilt can never be put away completely until we understand that the price for our actions has been paid. And you know, if you go see a therapist, if you go see a life coach or, you know, psychiatry, well, psychiatrists probably just medicate you. But these therapists, life coaches, and, you know, unfortunately, some sponsors, they take a different approach to this whole issue of, uh, of guilt. And they, they, they say things, and I've been there and had, and I had these conversations, and sometimes what they'll do is they try to lower the bar of morality, you know, and in many ways, it, you know, they suggest that you compare yourself with other people that are worse than you. Hey, you know, get grateful. It could have been worse or whatever. Um, a, a lot of times they'll tell you, hey, go make amends to that person. And um, the amends will make you feel better, could even bring peace or resolve between you and another person, but really, uh, in the big picture, those suggestions and many more that they make, they're really equivalent to just putting up, you know, band-aids on, on cancer patients. The fact of the matter is, God knows better than therapists. You know, in Second Samuel chapter twelve, uh, verse thirteen, I think it is, David had committed adultery, and he committed murder. And when he was confronted with that, um, the thing that he voiced the loudest, his first concern, he said, I have sinned against the Lord. Because, you know, we're all created in the image of God. And we know in our heart, in our soul, that the root cause of our sin is against God. And the only complete, the only satisfying and eternal relief, really, is faith in the work of Jesus Christ. Outside of that, you know, as usual, we can accomplish some things. We can make ourselves feel better in one way or another, but it's all temporal. And we can make it up as we go. We can tell our friends and audiences, you know, how we've been freed and how wonderful things are because I did this and I did that and I took this advice. But when it comes to sin, what we really did, the root of sin, is an offense to God first. And that is the most important thing. And that is the number one thing that needs to be dealt with. What we did to people is secondary, and that will get dealt with, and God expects us to deal with that. But first and foremost, most importantly, is getting resolve from our guilt by way of confessing to the Lord and understanding His method of forgiveness, which is really the ultimate when it comes to release of guilt. Verse 3, So Joseph's ten brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he said, Lest some calamity befall him. And the sons of Israel went to buy grain among those who journeyed, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. So there's this caravan, you know, probably 
several caravans on their way to Egypt, lots of people together because there were bandits and robbers uh, along the road. And so the boys, Jacob's 10 sons, um, you know, 12 really, but they were minus Joseph, who's already in Egypt, and Benjamin because Jacob wouldn't let him go. They joined the caravan and they're on their way to uh, to Egypt. Um, but, you know, Benjamin, because Jacob didn't want him to go, he stays home. And the reason that he stays home really is because he and Joseph were the only two sons of Jacob's now deceased favorite wife, which was Rachel. And so with Joseph gone and, um, you know, what happens there is that Benjamin becomes Jacob's new favorite son. And it's unfortunate, but uh, Jacob did play family favorites, as his parents did with him and his brother Esau. So it seems that it's, you know, handed down from generation to generation, at least here. Verse 6, Now Joseph was governor over the land, and it was he who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them. But he acted as a stranger to them and spoke roughly to them. Then he said to them, Where do you come from? So he's pretending not to know them. And they said, From the land of Canaan. We're here to buy food. Now, <clears throat> Joseph, as if you've been following us along through the previous chapters, God has gifted him uh, with a keen uh, business mind and a mind for administration. And so Joseph is probably watching and screening every foreigner that came in. And of course, he's watching over the grain and, you know, how much was being purchased and giving receipts, careful bookkeeping. That's what a good administration uh, administrator does. And since the famine was worldwide, he probably knew that in a matter of time, his family was going to show up to buy their grain. And that's exactly what happened. Now, when Joseph saw his brothers bowing down before him, he must have felt some kind of a deja vu because 20 years prior, God, if you remember, had given Joseph a dream where his brothers were going to be bowing down to him. And now it's happening just like God told him or in the dream he told him. So Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. Then Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed about them and said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. So what he's really saying is you come here to see where we're vulnerable as a nation. You're spies. Now, Joseph knows better. He knows that they're not spies. But he's going to start now to begin to put pressure on his brothers for two reasons, really. Number one, he wants them to confess and repent for what they did to him. Um is this, you know, uh, be is this for the sake of God that He wants to see His brothers be free from uh, the guilt, or is He on some kind of uh, spiritual trip? You know, a few chapters ago, um, we talked about how Joseph, in a way, it seems, grew a little proud uh, when um, he had the dreams. And he told his brothers and his parents, uh, kind of bragging to them uh, about how God had given these dreams and how he was somehow uh, superior. And there seemed to be a, a sense of uh, spiritual pride. 
And it seems like that's surfacing here again. But the other thing is, um, he wants to know if they had done the same thing with his brother Benjamin that they did with him. Because remember, he hasn't seen his brother Benjamin in 20 years. And since he and his brother Benjamin were the only two sons of Jacob's favorite wife, he's in the back of his mind, at least, he's wondering, well, I wonder how my little brother is. Did he suffer the same fate that I did? Maybe they killed him. He doesn't know. Verse 10, and they said to him, no, my Lord, but your servants have come to buy food. We are all one man's son. So we're, we're brothers. Uh, they said, uh, we are honest men. Oh, wow. Your servants are not spies. But he said to them, no, but you have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said, your servants are 12 brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And in fact, the youngest is with our father today. Maybe at this moment, Joseph's experiencing a little relief because what they're telling them is that Benjamin is okay. He's at a state home with Jacob. They go on to say, and one is no more. Now they're referring to Joseph. But Joseph said to them, it is as I spoke to you saying, you are spies. So it seems that the more they lie, the more pressure Joseph uh, puts on them. Uh, verse 15, in this manner, you shall be tested. So Joseph says, okay, we're going to find out what's really going on with you guys. He says, by the life of Pharaoh. So he swears by the life of Pharaoh. You shall not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. So you ain't getting out of here. Send for Benjamin. I want to see this, your, your youngest brother. Send one of you and let him bring your brother and you shall be kept in prison that your words may be tested to see whether there is any truth in you or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are a spy. So he put them all together in prison for three days. So what he's saying is, look, I'm going to release one of you. I'm keeping the other nine. That one who is released has to go home and bring your younger brother over here. Don't forget, they're talking to Joseph, but they don't realize that they're talking to their long-lost uh, brother who they sold into slavery. Uh, verse 18, Then Joseph said to them, The third day, do this and live. So three days after they're in prison. And you know, there is so many uh, prophetic arrows pointing to Jesus in this chapter. It's just, it, it's, I'm so tempted to make a, a, a right turn and just get into that. But we're going to be true to our commitment here. And we're just going to go continue to go through the Bible. What I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about how this chapter speaks prophetically of Jesus in so many ways when we do our uh, Bible study tomorrow morning, uh, Saturday, uh, at the Spirit Connection. But for now, we'll just continue moving through this chapter um, as it's written, I, I should say. Uh, he says, And bring your youngest brother to me, so your words will be verified, and you shall not die. And they did so. So when here Joseph says, uh, I fear God in the language that, that he's speaking there, what he's really saying is, I fear Elohim. I fear Elohim, not just any God. He refers to this God that he fears by name, and the name he uses for God is Elohim. Now, Elohim is a Hebrew word. And it's the plural name of God referring to God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three in one. And so when Joseph said this, his brother should have realized that he wasn't Egyptian and he wasn't even referring to an Egyptian God. 
They should have suspected that uh, the person they were speaking to was not Egyptian, but Hebrew. And they should have realized this is their brother, but it's been 20 years. His body is probably all shaved. He's probably wearing all of the Egyptian garb and doing it. And they don't recognize who he is, but there's probably another reason they don't recognize him. And that is because of guilt. You know, guilt brings fear. And then after fear comes the paranoia. And then of course, confusion, which is probably why they don't pick up on what Joseph said there in regards to God fearing Elohim. Verse 21, then they said to one another, we are truly guilty concerning our brother, for we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us, and we would not hear. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them saying, did I not speak to you saying, do not sin against the boy and you would not listen. Therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us. So Reuben is referring back to the day they, they actually wanted to kill Joseph. But instead, they sold him off to slavery. And Reuben told him, man, don't do this. This is wrong. You're going to regret it. They did it anyway. And now they come to this place and they're a mess. They're feeling guilty. They believe God is punishing them. They're saying that Joseph's blood is now required of us. God has taken this opportunity, you know, to take our lives because of what we did to him and on and on. Fear, paranoia, confusion. But they did not know that Joseph understood them for he spoke to them through an interpreter. So Joseph is standing there pretending not to speak Hebrew using an interpreter. And verse 24, look what happens. And he turned himself away from them and wept. So Joseph says, you know, give me a minute. He leaves the room and he begins to weep. Then he returned to them and talked with them and he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. So now all the pressure that Joseph has been putting on his brothers is finally paying off. The brothers confess and they repent. And it's not a game. It's a heartfelt repent. And we know that because they didn't know that Joseph could understand when they were speaking amongst themselves in Hebrew. He was there with an interpreter playing it off pretty good. And of course, their repentance brings Joseph to tears, but not to ignorance. So Joseph is emotional. He comes to tears, but he doesn't go all the way stupid with that. He has his wits about him. Uh, he, uh, he doesn't expose himself yet. And he doesn't just give in and say, you know, I'm your brother. Give me a hug. You know, take, get, bring your dad here. He, it, it, he still has his wits about him. So he, he's feeling uh, very emotional, but he, does, he doesn't give way to ignorance. So Joseph is going to hold Simeon hostage to ensure that these brothers return with Benjamin. So he's crying. He says, all right, I'm not going to keep nine of you here and one of you go back. What I'm going to do instead, I'm just going to keep one of you and nine of you go back. And the one, Simeon, is going to stay with me because he's going to serve as insurance. He's going to be held hostage till you come back here with your younger brother. Joseph desperately wanted to see his little brother, Benjamin. Verse 25, then Joseph gave a command to fill their sacks with grain and listen to restore every man's money to his sack. Wow. So the money that they were supposed to pay for the grain, Joseph secretly tells his helpers, he said, listen, put the grain in their sack and put their money in there also. 
He says, and to give them provisions for the journey. Thus he did for them. So they loaded their donkeys with the grain and departed from there. But as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey feed at the encampment. So, you know, a day or two journey, they're camping. They open up the grain to get saved. He says, oh, oh, he saw his money. And there it was in the mouth of his sack. So he said to his brothers, my money has been restored. And there it is in my sack. Then their hearts failed them and they were afraid, saying to one another, what is this that God has done to us? Three times now they believe God is punishing them for what they did to their brother. Then they went to Jacob, their father, in the land of Canaan. So they made it back home and told him all that had happened to them, saying, The man who is Lord of the land, that is Joseph, they don't know it's Joseph, but it's Joseph, spoke roughly to us. He's a mean guy. And took us for spies of the country. He accused us of spying on Egypt. But we said to him, We are honest men. We are not spies. We are twelve brothers, sons of our father, one is no more, and the youngest is with our father this day in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the Lord of the country, said to us, By this I will know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me. Take food for the famine of your households and be gone. And bring your youngest brother to me, so I shall know that you are not spies, but that you are honest men. I will grant your brother to you and you may trade in the land. So listen, you guys bring your younger brother back here, and then I'm going to know two things, that you're not a spy, and you're okay to be here, and then you can have free reign. You can come and trade and go back home, whatever you want to do, but you bring your youngest brother here. Verse 35, then it happened as they emptied their sacks. So of course, they're telling Jacob the story that surprisingly, each man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they, when they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. So fear is gripping them. And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me. You, you've grieved me. Joseph is no more. So Joseph has died. Simeon is no more. Simeon's in, in some Egyptian prison somewhere. And you now you want to take Benjamin? He says, All these things are against me. So they see nothing but tragedy. The brothers believe that all these things are God's way of punishment for what they did to Joseph 20 years ago. And even Jacob now believes that God is against them. So, you know, they come home and they say, Daddy, you're not going to believe this, but the money's in our sack. And, and what it appears is that, it, it, should, it appears, I should say, that uh, the brothers went down to Egypt and ripped them off. They ripped off the Egyptian government. They, they took the grain without paying and money's in their sack. And it looks like they're being framed and they think it's the hand of God. But, well, we're going to see what happens here. But in verse 37, it says, Then Reuben spoke to his father saying, Kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands and I will bring him back to you. So Reuben says, Listen, I have two boys, dad. And you know, uh, may my life end if I don't go back to Egypt with Benjamin and bring Benjamin back to you. But you know, Jacob lost Joseph in much the same way. He sent him out, if you remember, to go watch the sheep. 
or sent the brothers out to take care of the sheep and sent Joseph out to, to watch the brothers. And Joseph never returned. And so uh, Jacob is not ready to let Benjamin possibly suffer the same uh, fate. So uh, verse 38, but he said, this is Jacob now, my son shall not go down with you. Benjamin is not going down there with you, Reuben, for his brother is dead and he is left alone. If any calamity, if anything happens to Benjamin uh, along the way, uh, which you go, then you would bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the ears. I would be so heartbroken, I would die, is what Jacob says. So the whole family is scared. The whole family is worried. The brothers believe God is punishing them. Jacob believes God is against him. And they're all out of hope and ideas. But that's when God always seems to do his best stuff. And we're going to see that in the next chapter. Some people say that chapter 43 is one of the most dramatic chapters in the Bible. We'll be there next week, and you can decide for yourself. But for now, Jacob and his sons are going to see in the next chapter that all these things are not against them, that God is not punishing them, that all of these things are actually working in their favor. And God has had his hand on them the whole time. When Reuben said in verse 22 that Joseph's blood is now required of us, and here when Jacob says all these things are working against me, those two statements are simply not true. It wasn't true for Jacob. It wasn't true for his sons. And it's not true for you and me when we're in the midst of calamity. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 says, We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. That's what the Word of God says. That's what we know and that is what we believe. And certainly these stories, chapters like chapter 42 in the book of Genesis remind us and how many other hundreds of chapters speak the same story with different people, different circumstances, but all along the same lines. Things happen. As children of God, we're not immune to troubles in the world, but all those troubles are going to work in our favor because of the God that we serve. And our God is bigger than any famine bigger than any drought, bigger than, you know, a broken family and corruption and all these things. So he is able, he is able to fulfill his word and make all bad things work in our favor. Bless God. Amen. Praise the Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you. Your word is true. And these Old Testament stories are there to teach us and confirm in our doubtful little minds over and over and over again. You are God. You love us. And your hand of protection is upon us no matter what our circumstances or situation look like at any given time. Praise your name, yes, Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name. And I wonder what's my purpose. But doubt brings so much shame. Could I part the seas like Moses? Or conquer giants with just a stone? Am I worthy of his grace?
Jesus, will he ever call me home? Then I heard my Jesus singing out, he's the way, the truth, and life, my God.